wow, there's a lot going on in the national psyche right now with Trump's executive order and all this refugee immigrant crisis. And I want you to know a couple things. One, we're not going to be a church that politicizes the pulpit. Okay? If you stumble here over something, I want it to be over Christ and his gospel. Okay? I'm going to preach, we are going to preach as Chris did in his prayers, as we have through song, as I will now, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to stumble on a rock, it's going to be over that. Okay? I, I'm not going to politicize the pulpit. We, we are citizens of the one and true King, Jesus Christ. And under that citizenship, we are citizens of, whether it be America or other things. So our first allegiance is to him. Um, so I'm not going to politicize. And, and, and I want, we want to be, because, because we are going to be a church who preaches Christ and him crucified, we want to have people on both sides of the political, political aisle. We want to have a rich diversity of, of uh, ethnicity. We want that. And, and I feel like that's the only true and honest way to get there. It's not why we do it. We do it because the gospel is what I've been called to proclaim. Okay? Christ, is he deserves all honor and praise and glory. We will also not be a church who ignores what's happening in the world, um, what's happening in our nation. And we will be a church who, as the people of God, redeemed as outsiders, as poor, indigent sinners, incapable of saving ourselves, we will be a people who go after and pursue the oppressed. We will be a people who go after and seek the salvation of, the restoration of those who are trafficked, of um, immigrants and refugees. And so it's not, again, it's not an accident that, I mean, we didn't, I didn't, I'm the worst planner in the world. If you don't know that, you haven't been here long enough, and you don't, and ask my wife if you have any doubts. Like, God and his providence, it is the Sunday in which we are launching officially our partnerships that we've been praying about and looking to, and that we're going to begin to step into. Um, and one, and, and a, a category that we have and will always have as long as I'm here is a partnership in at least one ministry. We happen to have two starting off with reaching out to refugees and immigrants. I mean, it's, it's, as Christians, it has to be. As Christians called to the Galleria, it extra has to be. I think it's just, it's where we are. It's our privilege. It's our privilege. So we'll talk more about that at the covenant member meeting, but I want you to know that we will never politicize, that we will preach the gospel, and that we will go after the outsider for the sake of Jesus Christ. So that's who we are. Um, and that's, that's, that's all I'm going to say about what's going on right now, for now. Okay. And as that people, we need to feel free, bound by the love of Christ, to have different political opinions. That's good. We should. If we're all on one side or the other, that's, that's unhealthy. We should, within that covenant that we've made with one another because of Christ, be able to talk and wrestle and disagree. And that's part of a healthy family. So, and you sense some of that with coming from Chris, and you sense some of that coming from me. Like, we've wrestled. I've wrestled with some of you. That's good. So, we're going to talk about fear today for the next 15 minutes. Um, I burned up five. We're going to talk about fear. Um, it's, you know, as we sort of trickle on our way through this, gospel, this beautiful gospel of Matthew, and we've seen Jesus sing about, right, talk about how he has the words of life for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, Matthew 8 and following, 8 and 9 chiefly, 
He sings it in Matthew 5 and 7. Now he's going to bring it. He tells us that he is the altar of life and what the kingdom of God looks like. And now he's going to start to show us in Matthew 8 and 9, here's what God among you looks like. Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's what the reign of God in your life looks like. It looks like demons going bye-bye. It looks like people getting physically healed. It looks like sins being forgiven. And all the while, what is he doing? He's heading toward the cross to make all that possible. He's heading toward the cross. So as we look at, I mentioned a few of these last time, but I just want to do a dive real quickly into three of them. As Jesus calms a storm, delivers a man of extreme demon possession, and then heals a paralytic, not only of his paralysis, but first of his sins, a far greater paralysis. There are three reactions. You don't see them all here in Matthew, but if you turn to Mark, end of chapter 4 and then 5, Mark puts them in the same order. Uh, Mark says explicitly that in, when Jesus calms the storm, when he heals the demon-possessed man, and when he heals the paralytic, there are three things that tie these passages together. And there are probably lots more. Fear. It's the reaction every time of the people. They see what Jesus is doing, and they, it causes them, what he is showing them of his power, causes them to ask a question that I think is one of Matthew's chief questions. Who is this man? And when they ask that question, they just, they're struck with fear. So we're going to look at that um, together. And I just want to say, and I'll return to this at the end, but what we fear, in some sense, is what we love. In some sense. Um, so I'm always sort of dredging my heart, as it were. I also do it more often for idols. What are the, what are the things that are, good, but, um, that, I, that are good that I've made ultimate, I've made great in my life that I'm looking to to make me happy, to satisfy me, that aren't God? Because we're created to be satisfied in God alone. And so constantly going after other things. And one, of, one good diagnostic is, what do I fear? In other words, what, if I ask the question, if this were taken away from me, what would I... Would it, it would devastate me. It would fill me with such fear I wouldn't be able to. Um, and so you can go to children, spouse. Notice these things are good things. Money, security, comfort. If I lose, what if I lose? Am I just, I'm just awash with fear. I'm in the middle of the sea with no mooring anymore. And that is what you fear is what you love. What you fear is what you bow down to. So as I preach and as we look at these texts briefly, just be looking, be asking yourself, and asking the Holy Spirit to show you what, shine the light, Lord, on what is it that I can't do without. And, and the only secure place to be is the place where we must have the one thing that we can't lose, God himself. Because anything else, if we are looking to that for our happiness and security, and it can be taken away from us, and everything in the end will be, but God, then we are on a on an insecure foundation. So looking at the demoniac first, just touching on each of these, Jesus comes to this village and this man just bum-rushes him. In, in Matthew's account, two men. I think in Mark it's one. But they meet him and they're so full of demons that the demon says, my name is Legion, which was a, uh, another way of saying, I, I just have hundreds if not thousands of demons that are just, have basically, they possess me. He's extremely, extremely demonized. He, would, he made his home in the cemeteries. He broke chains when people would try to bind him. He cut himself. He was just raving lunatic out of his mind. 
crazy, and nobody could, could keep him down. And he runs to Jesus, possessed by this legion, and the demons cry out, what have you to do with us? They, they, they just bow before him, prostrate basically in, in involuntary worship, obeisance, just knowing exactly who he is. The whole time Matthew's asking, who is this man? And nobody understands who he is, even his disciples. But guess who knows exactly who he is? The demons. The demons. What have you to do with this, O Son of God, that you've come to torment us? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know that there's a time appointed where God is going to say, enough's enough, it's judgment day, into the pit of fire you go. They, the demons know this. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, they, they're like, man, you've just sped up the clock, no fair. God among us. They know exactly what's happening. But there's so much to say on this, I'm just going to keep rocking through it. Jesus delivers this man. He has all the power needed. He does an interrogation of this of this of this demon of these demons, and then he casts them out. In power, this man, these two men that nobody's been able to get close to before, contain. He ends up after Jesus is done with him, sitting in his right mind, like hair combed, parted on one side, you know, uh, flower in his lapel. I don't know, just sitting, you know, sitting cross-legged at Jesus' feet, right? Just hey, hey, I mean, the most loyal puppy. Can I come with you? I love you. You just delivered me from everything right of mind. And Jesus says, no, just go tell, go tell everyone you know what God has done for you. But what's, what do I want to touch on? At the end, it says that this man, um, the, the, rather the shepherds into whom Jesus, uh, Jesus drives the de- all these demons into this huge herd of pigs on this cliffside at the Sea of Galilee. And there are so many that this massive herd, all, of this, all this herd is possessed by these demons, and they rush into the sea and are drowned in the sea. And the shepherds just flee for their lives, ah, and they run. They run off and tell the village what has just happened. And what's the reaction of the village? Oh, the village is like, wow, what power you have, God among us. Just like the demon said, will you please come and stay in my house? No. The exact opposite. It, Mark says they were afraid. And here, Matthew says, they begged him to leave their region. Each of the rea- these three reactions we're looking at this morning, the, the end result is fear, but the, it's a different fear that produces different things. In this first instance, it's a fear that, man, these guys see who Jesus is, and honestly, they just want to keep life the way it is. Will you please leave? Because I know if you stay around, you're going to turn everything, sort of like Chris was saying in his prayer. Or maybe it was in, is, we always pray for the gathering ahead of time. Maybe it was when we were on our faces on the, on the carpet in the, in the music room. But either way, it's been a, something that's been reverberating throughout my heart and mine this morning especially. But would you leave us not how you found us, Jesus? Would you change us as a people as you take us by the hand and lead us where you want us to go in this area, in our lives, at our work, in our homes, among people that, we're, that you're having to, us to pursue? In a year, would we be a different people that look a little more like Jesus? When you come to Jesus, it's on his terms. And we see that, as I'll finish with, at the end of these pericopes in Matthew 9. And as with the last verse that we finished with, and I'm not going to give it away, but we'll go there. But Jesus, when he comes, he demands complete allegiance. When he comes, he doesn't come just to sort of be like a piece of the pie. He is God, and he, is, he created us for himself. 
And, and these people, in some capacity, got that. And their reaction of out of fear was to say, hell no, please leave. And you know, that's what a lot of us do without saying so much. I wouldn't recommend that type of reaction. That type of fear is not healthy because it may mean that you can maintain a semblance of order in your life for a while and have things, your comfort, your security, or whatever for a while, but in the end, it's not going to serve you. It's not going to serve you to reject the king and ask him to leave you because only he brings healing and peace and sanity and wholeness. That's what he came for. So that's the first type of fear. The paralytic we see next at the beginning of Matthew 9 and again, it's this amazing scene where Jesus does something so unexpected. We've read it a bunch, so we flip, we kind of pass on by it. But he comes, if you can imagine the scene, quickly built up to his hometown where he grew up. And everybody knows him. And he's teaching in a house. And this house probably has thatching and maybe pitch and then thatching and then some sort of tile over the top of it, flat roofed no doubt, and flat-roofed enough for the, for the friends of this paralytic who bring him, as Jesus is teaching, with just people packed out, sitting in the windows, if you can imagine, up the stairwell, whatever, it's packed. It's packed. He, his word has gotten around. He's, th- here's this hometown guy, hometown hero, and he is walking in power. He's preaching good news. He's touching people. They're getting healed. It's packed, and he's teaching on the kingdom, no doubt. And so these guys have this friend, that, and, and he can't do anything for himself. He's paralytic. He's been that way for a while, and he's, he can't move. So they, they can't get to Jesus for Jesus to touch and heal. And so they just climb up on the roof and tear a freaking hole in the roof. Can you imagine how disruptive? I mean, it's not, it's not like, I don't know how we imagine it, but I think we tend to anesthetize isn't the wrong word, but we sterilize. We sterilize. We get antiseptic, and we kind of clean off whatever bits of Jesus' life. You know, Chris was talking earlier about how Jesus, you were born in, in, a, 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 in a trough that, where you put feed for horses and pigs, and that's where you were born. I mean, that's, but then we kind of, Jesus in a manger with sweet little, you know, it sounds normal, but it wasn't. This was not normal. Like, they tore a hole in the roof, all this tar and all this straw and these tiles, and Jesus is, I mean, it's, it totally disrupts the meeting. And they drop, they, they, they lower homie down. And they did it, you know. They got him there. Good for them. Wow. And this whole huge scene, it's obvious what this guy needs. It's obvious what the, his friends went to these huge embarrassing lengths for. And now's the moment. And Jesus does this thing that still just boggles my mind. He says, wow, great is your faith. Good for you. Your sins are forgiven. What? I mean, there's so much to say about this that, again, I can't say no time, but, and that's fine. But again, people start murmuring. First of all, no. We're looking for this guy to get up. You're this power healer. Like, give him what he needs. Among a thousand other things we could say, this is what Jesus is saying. This. So much more than any other thing. What is, what is the thing in your life that you think you need most? Jesus says, no. Guy on a mat that cannot walk, lowered right in front of him. 
Your greatest need is not to get up and walk again. I assure you of that. Your greatest and most profound and long-lasting healing is not to have legs that work for the next 50 years. That's not it. Something so much better I have just given to you. I have forgiven you of everything that stands between you and God. Why can I do that? Because I am God. Remember that question, who is this man? Only the one offended has the right to pardon the offense. Not to even to speak of the power, which Jesus also has. Jesus is saying in healing this man, you have offended me. Before you've offended anybody else you sinned against throughout your life, it's me you have offended. It's me. And I forgive you. And I'm going to the cross to make it happen. I'm going to become your sin to clean you. Son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart. Take courage. That's what he says to him. Ha! Ha ha! Really? And so people start to murmur. And then he says, hey, you think, you think that's what, what? You think I can't do that? Just to show you that, just to show you that causing a man to give him, giving him legs and causing him to rise from his mat is nothing in comparison. Nothing. Get up and, get up and walk, son. Guy gets right up right up. But Jesus is telling them there is a far greater need that we all have that we don't see often as a need. And I've come to take care of that. I've not come, I've not come to conquer the Roman legions. I've come to do something so much more powerful. It's going to change creation. Slowly. But it's going to creep into every nook and crevice of creation until everything is remade through the power of my cross and resurrection from the grave and reign. And then I will return and I will make all things new. That's what Jesus is saying. And what is the reaction? Again, Mark shows us explicitly. It said, and I think Matthew does too. He heals a paralytic. He says, your sins are forgiven. And when the crowd saw it, verse 8 of chapter 9, they were afraid. They were afraid. Okay, I'm starting to get it. Why were they afraid? When you see someone do something like that, and forgive sins, and mean it. What kind of person is this? Who is this guy? What kind of power are we sitting in front of? You know, I think of, trying to give an illustration, I think of sort of, if you've seen the Grand Canyon, which I have not had the benefit of seeing yet, but if you stood before that gaping mass, that cavern of red, multicolored rock and stone that the, that the, ocean, that the water has cut into over the years, fear, a certain fear, I would think. When you look at the night sky, not here, unfortunately, but when you look at the night sky and see it just spangled with stars, broadcast, and you think about, as David Baker was telling me earlier, you think about the size of like one constellation, the big dog, I don't know, the Latin name is like Canis Majoris or something, but um, yeah, Canis Majoris. Uh, you think about compared to uh, the earth, compared to that constellation is a golf ball. And it's, it, it, if, the earth, if the earth is a golf ball, that constellation is the size of Mount Everest. One constellation. And Job says he just leads Ursa Major, there's another major, Big Bear, by like a little dog on a chain. Just lead, I mean, Psalm 33 that I was in this morning, it says, he spoke and created the heavens. His breath, next line parallel but advances the line. His breath, by his breath, 
my breath in the morning, it'll just, it just stank. All my breath does is it, it might, it'll turn you away. God's breath, he breathed, by his breath, he breathed out the starry host. That's the power of the very breath of God. And when these people just get a wisp, a gust of that, fear fills them. We're getting closer to a healthy fear. We are in the presence of someone that is so powerful, but has become so approachable. Who is this man? And finally, the disciples, maybe my favorite, with Jesus calming the storm, which is the first of the passages that, that Brooke started with this morning in um, Matthew 8, 23 and following. You know, his disciples are on the, on the sea, and it's raging, and they're sinking, and he's uh, sleeping in the stern of the boat, and they wake him up like, if you, what are you doing? We are, they were, these are fishermen. These guys spent, it's not like me on a boat. These guys did this for a living, and they think they're going to die, so they are going to die. They're, they're right. They know the water. It's intense. And it's not just, hey, we're in a storm, it's all physical. In the ancient Near Eastern, and certainly in the Hebrew mindset, the Hebrew were not a nautical people. They were not a people of the water, of the ocean, of the Mediterranean. And so they were a land people, and then they hung out on their lakes. Even though it's called the Sea of Galilee, it's a lake. And um, the sea was like a portal to the underworld. And if you think about it, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but actually on the land you can see what's coming, but in the water anything can come up from underneath. It's a, it, it was very much a physical sort of, um, portal and a physical picture of the fact that there are things going on that we cannot control, spiritual, physical. And so Jesus, in speaking quiet to this raging sea, was like he was standing on all that is tumultuous in our lives and all that is opposed to us and all that is raging and saying, I have control over it all, silence. And the way that he, he says this literally it's the, the language in the Greek is like someone speaking to a bratty child. Like when you're driving, and when I'm driving, let's just, when I'm driving and my kids are in the back and they're just never shut up, they're just constantly talking. It's praise to Jesus, but to me it's like giving me a headache, you know? And we're, they're dri- I'm driving and they're just talking, 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 and I'm trying to talk to mom or I'm trying to tell one of them something or they're all of a sudden doing something na- naughty. And I say, Silence! which every once in a while, you know, you'll, dad will get that kind of voice. And when, if you don't do it, if you don't abuse it too much, it's like the China-breaking moment. Like, uh, the kids stop. That's basically what Jesus does. He uses the word that a father would use with his children, and he says, quiet! And the entire death-threatening sea portal to the underworld and all that can hurt us and everything else that is such a threat to us, just absolutely quiet. And what is, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I am the God who made everything. And I, th- this creation is my child, as it were. These stars are from my very breath. I lead them as on a rope. And they are, again, afraid. They're filled with fear, and they say, who is this man? He's come to deliver us from the demonic. He's come to heal us. He's come to forgive our sins. He's come to remake creation. And he's going to do all of that perfectly when he returns. But it's already started. It's already started. Um, Who is this man? 
Psalm 103, Matthew's answer whenever he asks that question, which is throughout his book, you know Matthew's answer is always, we're already told who this man is. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the, it's in the Bible. The Bible is the Old Testament. The New Testament's the answer key. Okay? It's in the Bible. Psalm 103 says this. Psalm 103 says this. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Talking about the one God of the Hebrews, the Creator God. Bless the Lord, who forgives, verse 3, all your iniquity. What did Jesus do with the paralytic? And who heals all your diseases. What is, Jesus, what is Matthew saying about this Jesus? He is this covenant God. If you flip just a couple chapters over to Psalm 107, here's another song. And it's talking about the covenant God of Israel. And it says this, the Israelites were on the waters and they were tumultuous and afraid and threatened. It says the waves mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. In verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, in their trouble. And what? He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this man? Matthew is telling us who this man is. This man is Yahweh. This man is the covenant God of Israel. Come solo, having left the ultimate inner circle, the ultimate inner ring of privilege within the Trinity. All the riches of heaven left them behind, became poor, rejected, ultimately went to a cross for us, was undone so that we could be made whole, became sin so that we could have our sins paid for, became filthy so that we could be made clean. Um, this is that God. And like Chris said, that we could be, it, this sermon is a prayer. That we could be God. That we could be friends, brothers and sisters of mine, family, like Chris said, that I love more every week. That we could be a people because of the God that we worship through Jesus. Through no good of our own, through his complete good, through his love lavished on us through nothing that we've done but hate him, who seek to go low, who pursue, who don't just say, I love the outsider, but, but pursue those on the, on the edges through partnerships, in relationships, in everyday life, as a family, together in our parish communities, with our neighbors, that we could be more and more. It's going to be a process until we die. More and more that we could be that kind of people because of who he is and what he's done for us. You know, um, we all know, no, we don't all know, but if you've been fortunate enough to read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, I know, I always, yeah, yeah, you know it's coming. I always either, if you haven't been here before, I always either mention C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien, but if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, the first of, the first of them, I think in the best ordering is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and there's a part in there where all the, the children, Sans Edmund, who's gone to betray them. Uh, meet in the beaver's house. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are on Aslan's side, and they're good, and they huddle up in the beaver's house, and they're having a warm meal before they go out into the cold on this next part of their adventure to retrieve Edmund, hopefully. And, and, and Beaver says, Aslan's on the move. 
Aslan is this huge lion. He's the son of the emperor over the seas, the Christ figure. He's the lion that has created all things and come to give his life to restore all things to save Edmund. Sorry if you've not read the book. That's how it ends. Still really good. Gets better every time, even if the surprise is wasted. Uh, and the beaver's talking about Aslan, and they never heard of him. They say, who is this Aslan? Love babies, don't worry, it's okay. And um, he's describing how ferocious and huge and powerful Aslan is. And, and one of them says, or maybe it's Lucy, she says, is he safe? And um, the beaver says, oh no, safe? Never. He could swallow you whole. He could just swallow you whole. He's that powerful. No problem. By his breath, he created the starry host. He's not safe, but what? He's good. Good. The greatest display of his power and his goodness was in becoming nothing. Nothing. Low and rejected for us. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can trust him no matter where he leads us. And that's why we can go low with him because we've had everything taken care of. Our fears, if we truly understand, have been completely dispelled. Hell, taken care of, closed up. He went there for us. Sin, you're clean. Jesus did it. He became your sin. Satan, bye-bye. Death, you're going to die bodily, but you're going to receive a new body. You're going to be with Jesus if you've trusted in him. He's taken care of all that. You have no, nothing left to fear but God himself. And as we fear him together, as we walk into that proper fear, all of your lesser fears that are screwing your life up, that are screwing your soul up, will be expelled bit by bit by bit. Hmm? So, let me pray.